Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the second Sunday of Lent for the week of February 28th, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and wow, has February just flown by. It's kind of crazy to think about that. We're in the second week of Lent already. We're at the end of February for 2021, and boy, has it just been moving and crazy and just moving right along. Just a really interesting year. And when we're thinking about times changing and things moving forward, it's actually going to play pretty well into what we're talking about this week and when we're getting into this second Sunday of Lent. But before we get into that, we have to look at last week's Twitter question, which was, how are you going to clean up your raindrops, water droplets, water particles? We talked last week about rainbows and talking about how it's refracted light and how it reflects within the raindrop to be able to create these magnificent rainbows. And then talking about how these different particles can make it difficult for us to do that. And I think a lot of that is understanding and thinking about confession and forgiveness. Thinking about us bringing forward to God the things that we aren't perfect, that we aren't right, that there are a lot of places and things that we fall short on. And in doing that, in bringing that to God, it helps one for us to remember not only the promise that the rainbow brings, but the promise of baptism itself and what that means in us and that that body transfer of water being the consistent theme which is within us and even is when everything is completed with Jesus, that it is the water within the blood that kind of seals our Christian faith and is what we have built our faith upon in a lot of ways. So I think there's a lot of ways where we understand that really the way to be able to clean up our raindrops in a lot of ways is confession. And it's amazing when we start thinking about and looking at the rainbow in that way, there's a lot of ways in which it can be taken. And I'm not going to get into that this week, but I definitely got some comments back talking about that and rethinking about that. And I think it's an important thing to be able to remember is being able to take some of these different promises and realize that there is a lot of things that we can bring together and think about it in that way. Let's just jump right into it. The first reading this week is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 7 and 15 and 16. And this is where God is coming to Abram and is talking to him about how he at this age is 99 years old and God's promising him that he will be the father of this great nation, which we later know as Israel, and that essentially his wife, Sarai, will also be this mothering person and this person that will bring forth one of these childs of Israel. And in that, that when this happens and because of this promise that Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah, and that this promise is going to be fulfilled, this promise of change. And at this moment, remembering that Abram is 99 years old, and with them bringing up the age of Abram and Sarai, that they are well beyond what we would see as their childbearing years. And yet, here it is, God making this promise that not only one can I do things the way that I'm wanting them to be done, as long as you follow. 
and trust and have faith in that, but two, that it will happen. And in this case, this changing of the name to make him the ancestors of a multitude of nations, that they will be fruitful. And especially at this age in their life, that it's like this isn't going to happen. And yet God promises that this will happen. And we find out in later chapters that it does. Really interesting text, especially with what we'll be getting into this week. The psalm this week is Psalm 22, verses 23 to 31. And this is definitely, again, another type of praise psalm and recognizing the ability of what God has done to be able to build the tribes of Israel and being able to bring them all together and realizing that really the only thing to fear is to fear God and fear God in a loving way that God will continue to provide for them. And that as long as that that relationship, that love and fear is in that relationship, God will continue to provide as long as that worship is also continuing to be given to him. The second reading this week is from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. This is a great text to be pairing, especially with the Old Testament text, the first reading, because it's remembering the promise that has been made to Abraham and that it was through the righteousness of faith that even though the news and what was given to him had to have just sounded absolutely crazy, that in that, still they were able to believe, trust, and that look at what happened. This is what was happening. Who was hoping against hope, having faith that even as things were kind of crazy and chaotic and had to have sounded just outward crazy that Abraham had the faith, Sarah had the faith to be able to take those steps forward and trust in God and what God was doing. And that's a really interesting thing to be thinking about and recognizing that it's really whatever God's will is, as long as we follow, it will happen. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 8 verses 31 to 38. Jesus is talking here with his disciples and some of the other people who are around and starts talking about his death and resurrection. And at this point, then Peter takes him aside, kind of saying, Jesus, you're sounding crazy. And he rebukes Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind on not divine things, but human things. And then turns to the crowd and says, if any of you want to become my followers, you will deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And for those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. And gets into this whole idea of this is a transformation on what is going on that Peter in this moment is wanting to hold on to this moment and what Jesus has been doing healing and helping people and all these different things and Jesus is understanding that no this is my time to start turning toward Jerusalem and will be leading toward my death and looking in a much different direction than what Peter is at this moment. And it's a very interesting contrast between human recognition of what's going on and divine recognition of what is going on. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together, we have to do our shameless plug. Four, 
Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help me with having multiple different commentaries for multiple different years on these readings, along with having a Working Preacher podcast for both the narrative and revised common lectionaries. And having multiple just biblical scholars being able to talk about this stuff, it really helps me out on a week-to-week basis to be able to bring you this podcast. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. Before we really get into how the science comes into this, we really have to understand the moment of what is going on here. Jesus is saying that just because we are comfortable in that moment doesn't mean that that's where God is wanting to stay. And especially as we are in this weird spot within 2021, I think that's something to really be considering. What we knew and what we did before the pandemic might not happen now as we slowly come out of the pandemic. The church is going to have to be revitalized, renewed, and things are going to be reimagined based off of what we have gone through over the last year. And this is what Jesus is getting to the heart of right here. Jesus is getting to the heart of Peter's wanting to stay and continue doing these great things that he's watching happening around him. And Jesus understands the greater calling of what God is calling him to do. And if we think about with being on this side of the cross, if Jesus doesn't go through and do what he does, there's a lot that we lose in the ministry of what Jesus ends up doing. What Jesus ends up doing with dying and resurrection transforms how we look and treat ourselves and treat others for the sake of what we've learned in the gospel. If Jesus doesn't go through with that, it's incomplete. Peter, at this moment, is not seeing that. And it's something to just keep in the back of your mind because we have lots of these things around us currently. And there's a lot of different times in history that this has happened. If I want to look at a current example where I don't know what the end is, mRNA vaccines. There's a lot of questions that are left. This technology has been developed over the last 30 plus years. I'll attach some links down below talking about it. It's fascinating. Where it's just got ready pretty much in the nick of time before the pandemic, and now really being utilized for the first time in this pandemic. But it also leaves a lot of questions. How long does the vaccine last? How well is this going to actually do? What's the long-term ramifications? There are still a lot of questions. Are we going to have to get continual boosters on it? We're not entirely sure. We're figuring it out. We're doing science. We're watching science happen in front of us. And at some point, we'll be able to look back and probably kind of cringe at different moments with this. But it's hard in the moment to understand it, to recognize what it could potentially mean. What potentially this could do to transform medicine is huge. But it's hard to see that when we're in the middle of it. And sometimes we just don't fully understand. So let me give you a couple examples of that that we have had in history But we're going to go to the world of genetics. You've probably heard in your biology class growing up the name Gregor Mendel. And we know Gregor Mendel for his English pea plants that he ended up doing and figuring out the basic Punnett squares and figuring out traits within people or in plants in this case, figuring out 
heredity, figuring out genes. So let's give a little history. At the time, the idea was if you had like a black squirrel breed with a white squirrel, they would mix their genes together in like a blender and you would get a gray squirrel. And so Gregor Mendel went to some college stuff and ended up working at an abbey at St. Thomas's Abbey. And while there, he asked and got this plot of land where he could do a few science experiments. He really had grown up with some agricultural history and in college had spent some time around some agricultural people. He wanted to do some stuff. And so while he's working with these English peas, he ended up doing just a small study and was looking at some of the different independent traits. Seed shape and color, pod shape and color, flower color and location, and plant height. And he just thought he would track this. In over seven years and 28,000 plants later, he came up with some conclusions, some of which are still used today and ended up coining the phrase dominant and recessive alleles, which weren't alleles weren't out yet, but coined the phrases of dominant and recessive. So essentially every person has two alleles, one from your mother, one from your father. And they can both be dominant where they're always expressed, or they can be recessive where under the right conditions they're expressed in Menlonian inheritance. And he published a paper in 1865 called Experiments of Plant Hybridization. And it kind of sat for 30 plus years. He tried recreating the results of what he had done with hawkweed and really struck out there because it's an asexual plant, we found out later. So he wasn't able to duplicate his results. Plus, he got promoted to the lead of the abbey and really wasn't able to continue doing a ton of research on this. And really didn't take the science world by storm in a lot of ways. And he got really lucky in a lot of ways that he had initially found this with pea plants because of the simplicity of pea plants being able to have all these different things controlled by one allele. But around the turn of the 19th century, four different people ended up stumbling across his research and really diving into it. And what really kind of helped solidify it was the flyboys of Columbia University in the 1910s who were able to work with fruit flies and mutations to create a stable type and one with mutations. And by breeding them, we're again able to figure out these Punnett squares that we typically have, where you can have, if in your typical Punnett square of a dominant recessive crossing with a dominant recessive, you have 25% being purebred, 50% being half-breeds of dominant recessive, dominant recessive, and 25% being the recessive being expressed. And so this really neat idea, and with the Flyboys being able to show again that Mendel wasn't crazy and showing that it had become a stable organism for further genetics research, and at that point, Mendel kind of getting nominated in a lot of ways as the father of modern genetics, and also the Flyboys then creating stable organisms like what we use today of flies, worms, mice, rats, rabbits, pigs, 
monkeys, different stable organisms to be able to run experiments on, the beginnings of modern genetics. But again, one of these people that he had given his news, given out and found all this stuff, and it took 30 plus years to be recognized before someone really found and understood it. And sadly, in genetics, early on, this isn't a totally unique story. Because in the 1920s, Barbara McClintock was working with corn and seeing how genes can combine to swap information when cells divide. Also was the first person to make a genetic map for corn and discovered that transposition of genes or how genes can change positions on a chromosome, which is huge. And in doing that, figured out that genes can turn on and off characteristics can change color variations. But this was all over a 30 years of study. And by 1953, Barbara McClintock quit publishing because of how many people were skeptical of her research. Because it just didn't make sense with where they were at. And like Mendel, she was about 30 years ahead of her time. You see, in the 1970s, with where the rest of the people had gotten with genetics, they started looking back at McClintock's papers and started realizing the amazing work that she had done. To the point that in 1983, she won the Nobel Prize for physiology or medicine for her jumping genes or where they were able to move on the chromosomes. Four decades later, after initially publishing... And to this day is the only woman to win an unshared prize in that category. How does this relate? The news that both Mendel and McClintock gave, the world wasn't ready for or didn't give it the just thought and consideration that it really deserved. People were critical, thought they were weird, crazy. This can't be. And over time... They look back and then are able to understand that no, they weren't crazy. They had a broader vision and had done the work to understand something at a deeper level than what everybody else had. Jesus, when he is there and opens up and is trying to prepare his followers and disciples for what is about to happen as he heads toward Jerusalem, they aren't ready for it. They think he's crazy. Peter taking him aside and trying to say, what do you mean? Everything's great right now. Why would we shake everything up? Why would we change things? Jesus responding with this idea and calling Peter out and then calling to the people and trying to get them to understand that I'm not going to be here forever. And what I'm doing is just a taste of what we're really supposed to be doing. That following God is so much bigger than this and that I am, he is called here for a greater purpose to be able to radically change the world through confession and forgiveness. When I think about this in regards to 2021, I think this is a message that the church needs to hear. I think this is a message that the church needs to wake up to. The church that we have known And I've been in plenty of places where we start talking about this. The church needs to change. The church needs to start serving the people of today and reaching and connecting and being authentic with what people are going through today. What's scary in that, that might mean letting go of some tradition. That might mean changing tradition. That might mean 
opening things up and letting go of things so that new life can be breathed in. Peter was satisfied with where they were. Jesus wasn't. We can't be satisfied with what we knew or where we are, especially with the church. Brothers and sisters, when I look at where we're at in this world, we are coming to a spot where things are changing and changing quickly. We can either buck it and be like Peter and say, we should just go back to what we knew and just stay with what's comfortable. And the thing is, is that kills us because we are naturally curious people. We are designed to want to understand and continue to try to move forward. But yet we are flawed with this idea that we love keeping things the same because we know that. We know what that means and I'm safe and I'm secure. And so why would I want to leave? But we weren't designed that way. We were designed to continue to follow God and do what God is calling us to do, which might mean pushing us consistently out of that comfort zone, not just trying to cling on to what we know. Understanding that change is just part of the process, part of who we are as individuals in faith, but also how we are as a conglomerate group of people, that we need to continue to change in the faith. If Mendel doesn't publish those papers and people don't continue to look back at his work, Where are we with genetics? Because without genetics, we don't have a vaccine. There is no mRNA vaccine because we don't understand the basics of DNA and just how chromosomes and alleles work. So we can't even start to understand this. Brothers and sisters, we have to be okay with change. We have to be okay with listening to what we think maybe is crazy ideas at the time. And listening and trying to understand where they're coming from. Because we don't know where God is trying to speak. Here we have a monk in an abbey becoming and named as the father of genetics. We have an early pioneer in science as a woman 30 to 40 years ahead of her colleagues. Who gets ridiculed because they can't understand and didn't spend the time, the work, the effort to understand where she was coming from. Are we as the church doing the same thing? Abram had to question everything that God was telling him to change his name to Abraham. Him and Sarah were old. Let's admit it. They were old. And he's promising a baby? Seriously? How good of parents am I going to be? God doesn't talk about that. But they trusted. They had faith to move forward. We give praise to God, understanding that we might be fearful inside, but we know it's the fear of God within us as we move forward and consistently be okay with change. Because we understand that through that, we actually can express our faith. Hoping against hope that our faith is grounded upon something that is solid. And the more we do that, the more we realize it is. So the Twitter question this week is twofold. Where do you need to spend more time in hope? And where do you need to spend more time listening? We need to listen to our brothers and sisters so that we're making sure we're understanding and hearing what God is calling for all of us to understand, especially in these times and especially as the world is going to come out of this at some point into whatever our new reality is. We need to be able to listen so that we're hearing God's voice. But in that, we have to hope and have faith that God is going to continue to be there for us. The hope and faith that we have built our faith on something solid. Because the more we do that, the more we realize that, the easier it becomes. It's hard letting go. 
And it's something that I think in a lot of ways, it's a question that we all have to ask God of why is it so hard for us to let go of things? But I think his answer is partially because I didn't want you to let go of me. But in following God and having that hope, we have to be okay with letting go of things so that God can show us what's new, even when it looks unbelievable, unachievable, unrecognizable. We have to be willing to do that. Welcome to Lent, folks. It's hard messages. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. <laughs>